Um, by a show of hands, a little participation in here, if that's okay, a little participation. How many of you would describe yourselves as curious people? Can I see your hands? You say you're a curious person. Okay, that's quite a bit of you. Um, yeah, we can relate for sure. I would definitely describe myself as a curious person. In fact, probably much like you could probably relate as well, my curiosity gets me into trouble sometimes, right? Like you feel like you know what I'm talking about, all the curious people. Like it, it's, it's, not, it's not always a good thing. And my wife is smiling down here. She has no idea what I'm about to say, but, but she knows it's probably going to be something that got me into trouble. And, and, and in fact, when we were dating, when my wife and I were dating, we weren't dating for more than a few months at the time, and, and we, we were, we were going to go get a movie. And, and of course, now this is, this is years ago, and so we're going to a place called Blockbuster. <laughs> okay, if you're under the age of 25, you don't know what that is, hashtag rest in peace Blockbuster. But, and, and it's really a shame because it's funny because when we, when we used to have to go to Blockbuster to get a movie, have you noticed that it took us less time to pick a movie out at Blockbuster when we had to drive to Blockbuster get a movie and drive back, put it in the VCR or the DVD player, then it takes us now to flip through the hundred thousands of options we have. Well, like, I spend more time trying to figure out what we want to watch than we do actually watching anything. Like, it doesn't even make sense. But we're going to Blockbuster, and we're on our way back from, from, the, from the video store. And, and for whatever reason, I don't even know, know why, but we were driving my wife's mom's car. And so she's driving because it's her mother's car, and it's the first time I had ever been in a car like this before, because, because this car, this car had the, the, this is probably about 15 years ago, had the, had the push to start button, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I had never seen one of these before, and now, it, it, it's probably worth noting that, that I really, really like buttons, <laughs> like way more than the average person, right? Like, like I, I, I don't know why, but like, if there's a button, I haven't pushed it yet. I really, really want to push it. <laughs> and so I had refrained from, from pushing this button all the way to the store and almost all the way back from the store. We're, we're, we're coming up on, on her house, and we're like a stone's throw away from, from her house, and we're coming up on a, on a stop sign. We can see her. We can see her house from where we're, where we're coming to the stop sign. And we're coming to a coast. We're about to stop. And, 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 and sure enough, just as we start to coast, I realize she's going to push the brakes. So I'm like, oh, we're safe. I need to push that button so bad. I lean over. I push the button like, a, like I'm seven years old. And I, I push the button. The car shuts down as it's supposed to, right? It's a push to start and push to stop button. But it didn't say push to stop on it. So I didn't know, is it going to start twice? Is it like, is it going to go f extra fast? Like, What's going to happen? You know, it's a, it's a cool car. I've never been in such a cool car before. And, 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 and sure enough, the brake system, it, it stops. As the car stops, my, my little petite wife is like pulling back on the steering wheel, pushing as hard as she can on the brakes to get it to come to a complete stop. Meanwhile, I'm like, uh, what did I just do? And she's like, what did you do? I'm like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't know. I don't, I don't know what I did. And, of course, I felt pretty good at that time because, like, I pushed the button. I couldn't understand why she didn't feel good too, but she did not feel good at that time. And it was at that point in our relationship where she learned she cannot let me around new buttons. <laughs> really, she did. And, and I, I'm an easily distracted person. My curiosity lends me to become an easily distracted person. We were on vacation not too long. Well, actually, it was quite a while ago. It's probably about six years ago now, um, maybe even more than that. And, and at a certain point, I guess I got distracted and my wife saw me and took a picture. That's me in the picture. And that's, at the time, my four-year-old daughter who's hanging from a cannon. That's a cannon, people. And I'm looking, 
you know, gazing into the sun. I don't know. What am I doing? We're, I don't even know where we were. Like somewhere in Florida, but I'm, my child's, and then my wife, she put it, you know, like all millennial parents do. They put it on Instagram. And so, so thanks for that, babe. But, but that's, that's like, that picture, that picture cracks me up every time I see it. <laughs> that picture sums me up in a picture, probably better than any other picture that we could, like you'd think, like, what about reading your Bible or worshiping? No, that picture sums me up better than that for sure. <laughs> like, easily distracted. We, we're all kind of, in one sense, pretty easily distracted. We, we all tend to kind of focus, at least at one point or another in our lives, on the wrong things. The challenge is, is knowing whether or not we're focusing on the, on the wrong things. I, I've been reading a lot and doing some, some research and trying to get my hands on every article and book I, I can get my hands on that has anything to do with loneliness. Because I'm, I'm, I'm discovering, much as, much as you already know as well, that, that loneliness is becoming what they're calling an epidemic in our country today. An, an epidemic. It's crazy when we begin to tie loneliness with a word like, like epidemic. But, but here, here's what I've begun to discover, that the cause of a lot of our modern social problems, all the way from divorce to homelessness and, and obesity, they, they've often been thought to be based in areas such as poverty or, or stress or unhappiness. But, but more recent findings, really all the way kind of from about 2010 on, have begun to suggest that we're overlooking something really crucial. That much of these actually just comes down to friendships. In fact, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota just last year, they released this, this study that found that, that individuals who have high-quality friends... And that, that's, that's described as, as friends who are supportive and consistent. That these individuals experience 70% less stress. They live longer. They spend less money on medical bills and universally describe themselves as happier. Homelessness, why marriages fail, why we often overeat, it is now being directly connected to the poor quality or non-existence of friendships because people feel outcast and unloved. Furthermore, Psychology Today just released a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me this, this article that had over 270,000 participants that they, that they researched. And, and the article concluded, the research rather concluded, that if your best friend eats healthy, you're five times more likely to ha have a healthy diet. Those who say they have no real friends at work have only a 1 in 12 chance of feeling engaged in their job. And those who don't have a close friend at church attend on average of 2 to 12 times per year versus those who have a close friend in their spiritual community attend upwards of 40 or more times per year. Think about this for just a moment. Whatever you believe about Jesus, and here's the beautiful thing about our community, is that you don't have to even believe that Jesus is who many of us profess that Jesus is to be to belong right here. I, I really believe that. I think it's the, it's the beautiful thing about what God's doing here at Ethos. So whatever you believe about Jesus, if at the very, if at the very least you, you would say, well, I, I, of course I believe history. And at the very least, history records and concludes that Jesus was a real man and that there are many miracles that were ascribed to him. So if at the very least you think that Jesus was just a prophet of sorts and just a miracle worker, then, then, then okay, then either way, he was a pretty great man. But for, for many of us who believe that he's the son of God, that he came in the form of a man and died for us to pay the ultimate sacrifice and penalty for our sins, for our shame, for our mistakes and our failure, so that we could be made right in relationship with our Heavenly Father. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, here, here's, here's what we discover. That before Jesus ever went on mission, before we ever performed one miracle, before we ever pre preached one message, 
Jesus, he first and foremost, he, he built a community and he committed to that tribe. Before he ever started his ministry and went on mission, he, he kind of invited some people to, to kind of live life together. And I wonder if Jesus isn't modeling something for us in that, hey, you're trying to do something great for me, but you're trying to do it separate from the community in which I intended for you to do it with, to begin with. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is teaching, and he says, the thief, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I fully believe that the rich and satisfying life that Jesus intends for us to have and to experience is found in community. It's found in community with our Heavenly Father and found in community with one another. And trying to do it separate from Him or separate from each other is, is falling short of the satisfaction in the fullness of the life that God intends for us to experience. For, for, furthermore, for, I think that, that as a church, we got to lean into the fact that, that we have to grow larger. we got to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. But, but we also have to grow smaller and continue to build relationship in community. Here, and here, here's why. Because heaven and hell are real. They're real. So we got to grow bigger because we got to reach people with the good news of Jesus. But they're also real. So we got to build community. And we will never be a church that's all about reaching people at the expense of building people in healthy relationship and community. And yet we'll never be a church that builds healthy community at the expense of reaching It's both and, not either or. we got to grow bigger and we got to be intentionally growing smaller at the same time. And that's what groups are all about. That's why ethos groups exist. We're not just trying to do groups because it's like, well, that's what churches do. They do groups. No. I refuse to ever be somebody that does something because somebody else is doing it. That is so not our MO and never will be. We do groups because we got to grow bigger and we got to grow small, smaller. And, and, and four things we're going to do really well as a church. 30 years from now, we're going to look. There's four things we do really well. We do Sunday mornings really well. We do kids ministry really well. We, 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 will, do, we will generously and selflessly serve our city, our communities really well. And we will do relationships and community really well. I want to give you three reasons this morning, really quickly, three reasons why ethos groups are vital to our mission as a church. The first one is because groups provide us a place to connect. They just, very simply, they provide a place to connect. You know, I grew up, I grew up all the way on the East Coast, uh, in, outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, but I grew up in, a, in, a, in an area about 40 miles west of Philly. And, and I always like to say, you know, West Philadelphia, born and raised on a Playground, grandma spent most of my days chilling out, Max, relaxing on cool, and I'll shoot some people outside of school. And so we grew up there, and, 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 and me and Will Smith are really tight, by the way. But, and, and, but, but here, well, I grew up in an area called Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Now, now, many of you, if you've heard of Lancaster before, you've heard of it because of its Amish community. There's a, there's a large Amish population in Lancaster. It's such a unique area because there's like this city life going on in Lancaster, and then there's like this, this rural, like, Amish farm life going on in, in Lancaster as well. And, and growing up, whenever you drive through the country, you, you always smell in the summertime a very distinct smell of manure. And now growing up there, 
it became so normal that, that, that you never even gave it a second thought. Like, it's summertime, manure. In fact, at a certain point, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this, is, this smells good. Like, like you, you begin to, like, love your city so much that you're like, this smells good. Like, every city should have this smell, you know? Yeah, I guess you're just trying to convince yourself that it's, you know, something great. And so, but, but, but it, it became second nature. Where you wouldn't even notice it any longer. Like, there, there came a point in my, in my teenage years, I'd be driving. I didn't, I didn't, even, real, I didn't even realize I'm smelling manure. But anytime that somebody would ever come in from out of town, whether it was a friend or, or a relative, they'd be driving with us and they would say, what, what's that smell? And honest to God, you'd, you'd oftentimes say, what smell? They say, man, it smells like, like, like manure. Oh, yeah, no, that is manure. That's the farmers are using, you know, fertilizer. It's natural. It's actually a beautiful thing. It really is. And, and it, it, became, it literally became, it became so second nature. The scent, became, the scent became normal. Now think about this for just a moment. What Solomon says in Proverbs chapter, chapter 27, it, it, it's interesting because Solomon was considered to be one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth. In fact, God at one point even asked Solomon, he said, if you could have anything, what, what would that be, Solomon? And Solomon said, wisdom. And God was so honored by the request that he gave him wisdom in a liberal sense, but God actually promises us to the same. We need wisdom. We need to make difficult decisions in life. God intends for us to use his wisdom, not our own wisdom. In fact, James tells us that we should ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to us what he describes as liberally. In other words, in abundance, in abundance. And, and, and so, so, so Solomon has all of his wisdom from God and in all of his infinite wisdom, he says, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Not as sweet as manure, but as sweet as perfume and incense. Now, life is, is full of smells. In fact, in fact, in a, not in a literal sense, but kind of in a proverbial sense, everywhere that you go, you, you leave a scent, right? Again, not in a literal sense, okay? Because sometimes, sometimes we do leave some scents. But, but, but like in a, in, in a kind of an analogy, we, we, all leave, we all leave a scent. So the question is, what, what if you stink? <laughs> like, like, what if you and I are participating in choices and decisions and actions that are going to hurt us or even, or even others? And, and we don't even know it because oftentimes we can't always see what we're doing as wrong. We, we oftentimes don't see that what we're doing really does stink, right? You ever, you ever been to a department store before? And, uh, or maybe for some of the girls, you've been to like Sephora and you're, and you're smelling all of these different scents, these different fragrances and, and perfumes and have you noticed that when they when they have you test one smell that before they want you to test another smell they have these these coffee beans you notice this you know you know literally there's what's called an olfactory o-l factory within your nasal cavity you didn't know but you're coming to science class this morning and 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 it has a hard time recognizing new sense after it first smelled a very strong, distinct, original scent. So, so we need something to reset that olfactory. And there's this old common belief, which has later been debunked, but yet we still use it, that, that coffee beans help to reset the olfactoids within our nasal cavity. And so, so when we go into a store and we're smelling something new, they want you to reset so you can really experience the fullness of that new fragrance. I wonder sometimes if we don't need to 
smell some coffee beans in our own lives in order to smell the stink in the staunch that certain parts of our lives are leaving behind. I believe that groups provide us a place to connect so that we can refocus or recalibrate our senses, so to speak, so that we can become all that God intends for us to be. Because sometimes we don't realize the scent that we're leaving or the scent that we're growing into. And we need our friends. We need a place in a community that is safe. When we begin to hear the voices of doubt or insecurity or fear or anxiety or confusion or just loneliness, we need a group, a connection, a tribe, a family that we can connect that will help us smell the beans. You know what I'm saying? Not the chili beans, by the way. But we need to, we need to refocus. We need to, we need to recalibrate. And groups provide a place of life and encouragement and support. I believe that. We're praying for that. We're training leaders for that. We're growing into the people that God intends for us to be so that we can create that type of environment. Second thing is groups provide us a place, a place to protect. In an ever-increasingly dangerous world, we need safe places. We, we, need, we need safe places. We need a place to be real. Hear me. Where masks, where masks aren't required in order to be supported. You know what I mean by that? So often we feel like we have to kind of wear this, this mask, so to speak, and, and we call it our Sunday best, where we have to pretend to be something that we're not in order to receive the support that we desire. Meanwhile, we get some support, but it's false, it's fake, and it never really creates the freedom that God intended for us to experience because it's all been behind a mask. And groups need to provide a place for people to feel protected and safe, that they can take off their mask and be themselves and be loved and affirmed just as they are and allow the work of the Holy Spirit to be worked and manifested in the individual's life, not us forcing God onto people or intending for them to become something that we desire for them to become, but rather us just loving people right where they're at, no mask required. Groups need to be a place where people can belong, where we really feel like we're in this together, where we really can be, really can be a family, an experienced family. This past week, I was, I was at Home Depot with, with my daughter, Sophia, and, and and, and there was kind of this, this confrontation between these, these two people that were in the aisle that we were in. And, and it spooked, my, and it spooked my, my little girl. And I didn't realize that it spooked her. And I guess she kind of felt unsafe for just a second. And she was, in, she was riding in the cart that I was pushing. We were picking up a bunch of, a bunch of like drywall. We're trying to fix some stuff in our house. And, 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 and she, she's in this cart. And I'm, I'm probably from here to the end of the platform there. And, and the people on the other side of the aisle. And afterwards, when they left, Sophie said to me, she said, Dad, I felt kind of scared when they were talking to each other like that. And I said, you did? She said, yeah. And I said, baby girl, listen to me. I said, you're my little girl, right? She said, yeah. I said, well, I can't promise you that we're going to win every fight, Soph. <laughs> but your family, I can promise you that there will never be a fight that you fight alone. That's who we are. Whether you know this to be true or not, if this is your very first time or you've been coming here, by the way, today represents our fifth month. We, we are now officially five months old as a church. Pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, and you've been coming here for all five months. Man, I, our hope, our prayer is that you would know quickly that you're just in the presence of family, man. Like, 
Like we, we want to see each other as friends who are family and family who are, who are friends. You can mess with me. You can say what you want about me. You can, you can talk about me behind your back. But the moment that you start talking about my wife or my kids or our church, this tribe, our community, man, we're, we're going we're gonna to throw down. Like we're, we're going we're gonna, to, we're, because your family and groups need to provide a place where we feel that sense of belonging, that sense of, that sense of protection. Because here's what we've discovered, and here's what we know to be true. That the enemy is not scared of a big church. He's terrified by a united church. In fact, the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 11, that nothing will be impossible for a people who are united. Who are together in this thing. Who put aside their kind of... Their, their, their theological nuances and their political persuasions, and we come together under the name of Jesus around the community and the identity of a family, and we say, man, we're heading the same direction. We want to create a place where all people would feel loved in the name of Jesus. He's not afraid of a big church. Come on, there, there, there's some big churches who, who aren't doing anything. But, now listen to me, there's some big churches who are doing amazing things. And we are for the big C, capital C, church here in Columbus. We never intended to create a church in and of itself. Man, we, we wanted to help build the kingdom of Columbus. But we also got to know that our effectiveness is completely dependent on our unity and our sense of belonging and our identity as a, as a family. And the third point, the third thing that groups do for us is they, they provide a place, a place to grow. Provide a place to grow. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, the author Paul is, is writing. He says that we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we should weep with those who weep. In other words, we should sympathize and feel the emotions of one another in this journey of becoming a family together. And as we do so, we will continue to grow. One of the big mistakes that we make in life is thinking that I, I got this. I can do this all on my own. I remember when I was a little bit younger, that was like my MO. Like I always thought I could do everything all by myself. And, and it's funny because as I get older, just yesterday, we, my, my wife and I, we, we, we bought this condo and it had this unfinished basement. And the deal was we're going we're gonna to get this condo. It's, you know, we, we, we don't have quite as much room for the kids to, to, to play outside and that sort of thing. But we're going to finish the basement. It's taken me a lot longer to finish the basement than we ever anticipated that it would take. And we're just beginning to drywall now. And I thought, I am not going to try to drywall on my own. So what I do, I called three of my buddies, and I said, come on over, help me drywall. And one of my friends, Justin, he was telling me, he's like, man, you know, it's funny because some guys try to do this all by themselves. And I thought, I am not one of those guys. Like, I'm trying to save my back for the long haul. You know what I mean? And, but, but that feeling of, I got this, I can do this on my own, it is detrimental to the mission that God has us on as a community. None of us got it on our own. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We need the companionship and the relationship of the people all around us. Listen again to what Solomon says in verse 17 of Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens, sharpens, sharpens a friend. Our relationships really do determine the direction and the quality of our lives. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Your sharpness, so to speak, is dependent on your relationships. Who do you have in your life that makes you better? 
Who do you have in your life that makes you laugh? We need more friends who just make us laugh. <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but I, I love to laugh. And when I don't laugh for a while, I kind of feel like, like depressed. <laughs> like, I love jokes. I like Jim Gaffigan a lot. Like, like I, I just enjoy laughter. And I love friends who make me laugh. Who do you have in your life that you can just laugh with? Kind of let your, let your guard down, so to speak. Just enjoy the goodness that is God in all of his creation. Who do you have in your life that encourages you? That shares scripture with you? That texts you and says, man, I was praying for you this morning. Here's something I felt like God put on my heart to share with you today. Who do you have that sees the same brilliance in your kids that you see in your kids? I pray that we not just be a community of adults who love each other, but we be a community of young people who love each other and of adults who love our kids like we love our own kids. That's, that's family. Who do you have in your life that believes in you and the gifts that God has placed within you? Your sharpness is dependent on your, on your friendships, on your relationships. Now, 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 if all we really want in, in life is, you know, we just, we just want a banana. I don't want a whole lot. Just kind of looking for a banana in life. You know, right? we don't really need sharp friends then, right? I mean, this little plastic knife, it'll, it'll cut right through that banana. Complete. Oh, that's. Sorry, Olin Tangy Meadows Elementary. But if, if we want to kind of upgrade life a little bit, we want to really kind of experience some of what God has for us. We, we want to upgrade, man. Like, come on, there's, there's nothing quite like a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Three quarters peanut butter, one quarter jelly. That's what I'm talking about right there. If that's what you want, it's a little bit better than a banana, a little bit more fulfilling than a banana. A butter knife will do. It'll, it'll cut through that sandwich, no problem. Cut the crust off for your kids, no issues. But, man, if we want to experience the best part of life, Oh, yeah, we want, we want that, we want that eight-ounce filet life. That's what we're looking for right there. Medium rare. We're going to, we're going to, that's, that's a real steak, by the way. Cooked this morning by my wife at 8 a.m. You're going to need a little something sharper. You're going to need a, you're going to need a steak knife. And it's funny because so many of us are going through life with, with relationships and friends and even ourselves, we're, we're kind of just kind of getting by, head above water, feeling kind of lonely, don't really have a tribe or community that I can fully trust, nobody really encouraging me, helping me grow closer to my relationship with God. And the plastic knife is that's all that we've got, right? You want to become, you want to you become sharper, but all you got is plastic knives around you. I think iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpens a friend. But sharpening each other kind of requires us to get a little uncomfortable, though, too. It's the reason why a lot of us don't ever put ourselves in those vulnerable positions to become sharper, because it's kind of uncomfortable. But we got to make this decision, church. we got we got to be these people who is more committed to growth than we are to being comfortable. That we say, I want to be better more than I want to be 
comfortable because a dull life leads to regret, but a sharp life will lead to God's best. It really will. We need friends who kind of help sharpen us so we can experience God's best. But the desire for growth in our character and our discipline, our relationships with God, it has to drive us more than the desire to be comfortable because comfortable living really is often effortless living. It's easy living. It's easy for us just to stay on the couch. It's, it's easy for us not to engage in relationship. It's easy for us to kind of keep ourselves hidden and never really fully commit. It's easy for us not to commit to a community or to a tribe, to kind of stay on the peripheral. But I'm telling you, God's best is on, is, is on the inside of family. It's, it's connected in community. It just, it's just the way that God designed it. It's just the, way that he, just the way that he made it. And so many of us aren't experiencing his best because we're living on the fringes. We're staying comfortable and we're kind of putting one toe in and God's saying, no, no, just go all, just go all the way. In fact, I think God's just saying this. Just come and see. See if it wouldn't help you. See if it wouldn't increase even just your level of maybe greater understanding of who God is. Maybe, you, maybe in the, the most simplistic sense, you begin to experience peace and joy as you were intended to experience in relationship with one another. So maybe you say, I don't have time for a group, which honestly is a legitimate thing like like you're a young mom or or your work requires lots of travel totally totally get that totally do honestly we do man my wife and I we're working through this right now we're trying to we're having conversations right now like we need to create more margin in our lives just to enjoy the relationships in our lives I feel like we're rushed from one thing to the next like we're, we're just working this out right now I mean we're in the middle of it like we haven't figured this thing out I don't know that we'll ever figure it out, but it's a tension that we're really trying to identify and wrestle with. So we get the time thing. We get it. Two young kids, we just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a lot sometimes. I totally understand. But maybe, maybe God this morning is, is saying, hey, I want to help you with that. I want to help create some margins so that you can experience community the way it was intended to, to be experienced. Maybe you'd say, I'm afraid to get in a group because what if no one will like me? Well, that's a legit fear. And, and, but, but, but here's what God's doing. I think, the, I think one of the more beautiful things that God's doing here at Ethos is in creating a community where people just like people. And it's weird because a lot of times people don't like people, right? But like he's, he's just, something's happening, man. I don't know if you can experience, I don't know if you feel it or not when you come, but I'm telling you haven't been a part of this now for the last five months. You see it happening. Something's, something's building. Something's growing. People like people. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I'd encourage you to try it. Maybe you'd find your new best friend. or maybe, 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 maybe you'd say, well, what if nothing changes? What if everything changes? What if everything changes? It's worth it. It's worth the risk. The best parts of my life are a result some of those beautiful relationships that I have in my life.